Well, we do have a little bit shorter message uh, planned for today, but I believe, I think we're still going to dismiss the kids, unless they're already off, but um, um, yeah, we are still looking for help over the next month, because our trusted Elena, who's our main Sunday school teacher, is away, and so we've been trying to fill in a little bit, so if you can help out in any way, just chat with me or uh, with Danielle, Danielle Royer. We've been uh, working through um, the upper room. Uh, we've been, uh, as we approach Easter, spending time in the upper room with Jesus. Um, this is a scene where Jesus has less than 24 hours to live. Uh, he gathers his disciples and he begins to teach them his last uh, sort of intense section of teaching. And if you can imagine if you or somebody new only had 24 hours to live and they had one last meal together, you can imagine how powerful those words would be. Uh, you imagine how important those words would be to hang on to. And so uh, we, with the disciples, are entering into this room and just listening to the Holy Spirit and what he has to say uh, to us through the words of Jesus. And uh, we ended up up on verse uh, 36, but we're going to back up to 33 uh, just so we get the context here. Uh, Jesus has, has been teaching. He had finished washing the disciples' feet, and he continues on and says, Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. And so he is headed towards the cross. His, his death and resurrection is going to ascend to the Father, and the disciples can't come in this moment. And then last week we looked at this. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And, and so he leaves us with a new command. And again, as we talked about last week, sometimes we ask, why is this new? Because the Old Testament tells us to love our neighbor as ourself. But this command is new in the sense that this is a new covenant he is bringing in. The Old Covenant had 613 laws along with the Old Covenant, but uh, as Hebrews 8 says, that the Old Covenant is, is moving towards being obsolete, but there's a New Covenant, and so a New Covenant needs new commands. And this is the command with the New Covenant. It's not 613, it's one main command. To love each other just as Jesus loved us. And this is new, also in the sense that we have no wiggle room in this. I mean, the old, the old covenant law, uh, love your neighbor as yourself, there's all lots of wiggle room in that. You know, well, well, who is my neighbor? Well, my neighbor is actually just the people who love me. My neighbor is actually just the people next door, but not the people over there. Uh, Jesus uh, doesn't use neighbor. And then, uh, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, you could say, well, I don't love myself that much, so I don't have to love others. Uh, I mean, there's no wiggle room in the new one, because it is love each other, just as Jesus loved us, we are to love each other. So the example is Jesus. As Jesus washes the feet of Judas, who's about to betray him, Jesus washes his feet with love in his eyes. And Jesus says, we are to go and do the same. And so this is the heart of Christianity. The heart of our faith is loving others as Jesus loved us. In fact, it is to be our testimony that our love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. It's not going to church. It's not that you read your Bible. Those are, those are important things. It's, it's, it's our love that will prove to the world that we are followers of Jesus. We talked last week in how the church has 
It really gotten off base sometimes because most people often describe the church as hypocritical or judgmental and, and, and not loving. And this is our challenge to move back to the heart of Christianity where we are known for our love. That when we touch people, they feel love. Someone bumps into us, they feel love. When someone pushes us, they don't get revenge, anger, bitterness back. They get love because this is the command that houses the new covenant. And so picking up a new section of text. So Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus has been talking about going away and disciples can't come. So he asked, where are you going? Uh, Jesus replied, where I'm go uh, going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. I mean, uh, they've been following Jesus. Uh, uh, Peter's passionate. I will lay down my life for you. And then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And again, this is a prophecy about what would happen to Peter. And uh, Peter's faith at this moment isn't strong enough to, to handle the temptation that was coming his way. I mean, when Jesus is arrested and crucified, uh, I mean, all his hopes of this uh, Messiah that he thought Jesus was going to be were kind of dashed. And under the pressure of other people saying, hey, you were one of his followers, Peter will deny outrightly that he knows Jesus. Uh, his faith at that moment wasn't strong enough because the Holy Spirit had not yet come. But once Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, man, you're looking at a whole different story. Uh, because uh, eventually, if you go down Peter's life, Peter would actually, uh, when he is pressured to deny Jesus, when the Roman em uh, Empire was cracking down on Christianity and persecuting Christianity, rather than dying for, uh, rather than denying his faith, Peter was actually crucified upside down. Because he actually saw himself as too unworthy to be crucified in the same way as Jesus. So out of humility, he is crucified upside down. And, and thus we have what is known as the St. Peter's Crucifix. Now sometimes you see this in movies as an anti-Christian symbol, but uh, the history of the symbol is actually a Christian symbol. And sometimes you'll see Christians wearing an upside down cross. It's a sign of humility and a sign of what St. Peter did. And so it's not some satanic symbol, though sometimes it's tried to use that way. It actually goes back to Peter's crucifixion. So then Jesus says this, uh, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And uh, they are troubled because Jesus is saying he's going away. And you can imagine if you had, you know, someone you were hanging around with closely for for three years, uh, your girlfriend or even your spouse or a close friend, and they said, I'm going away and you can't come. Uh, you'd be troubled. You'd be like, what in the world is going on? And, and they still can't quite figure it out. Jesus sees that they're anxious and they're troubled. And he, and he says to them, trust in God, trust also in me. And it may be that you're here and you feel a little troubled this morning, or maybe you're anxious. I mean, there's a lot of reason to be anxious in the world. I mean, Jesus told us in this world, we will have trouble. Uh, maybe you're anxious about a, a financial uh, issue in your life, or you're anxious about a health issue, or anxious uh, uh, because of some relational uh, rift in, in your marriage or with somebody else. I mean, there's a lot of things we can be anxious about in this world. But Jesus' answer is, trust in God, trust also in me. Uh, but what does that look like? 
In fact, this whole section of Scripture, in a sense, answers this, because later in John 16, Jesus will say this. I have told you these things. That's all the stuff between John 14 and, and, and the end of 16. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. I mean, when you're troubled and anxious, you don't have peace. When you have peace, even in the middle of the storm, you, you just feel that anxiety going away. You feel that troubled heart just melting into the love of God. And, and, and so Jesus says, I've told you all these things so that you will have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And so this peace, this idea of Jesus saying, don't let your hearts be troubled, is not said in some sort of Disneyland la-la culture. He's saying this to people who are troubled. And we are troubled, and Jesus says, you really can't have peace. You can really not let your heart be troubled. And so as we look over the next coming weeks, we're going to explore more of this. But we get to touch on it today. Why, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Uh, so he says, uh, my father's house has many rooms. So this is his answer. Don't be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And then he says this. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I, uh, if not so, would I have told you that, is that right? My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so uh, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And, and as Leslie said, if you don't know the way, the way starts with Jesus. He is the way. He's the life and the truth. Uh, but he points here, he says, in my Father's house are many rooms. And mistakenly, the church has often take, taken this text and, and solely said, this is about heaven. That this is about going to heaven, and you know, as the old King James says, I'm going to have a mansion up in heaven, and, and uh, God's going to prepare a place for me in heaven. I mean, sure, you can stretch out this application to this, but we're going to see this has far more to do with actually our current reality here than it has to do with heaven. So the idea of the Father's house, again, uh, we saw this in, across, in the Across the Spectrum series, that one of the first questions we need to ask is, is not, how do I see this for my modern culture? The question is, how did the people who originally heard this, how did they hear it? And when they heard my father's house, they would not have thought of heaven. They would have thought of the temple. Because clearly, throughout the Gospels, there's many times where that word, my father's house, means the temple. So they would have heard temple, not heaven, as we hear heaven. He's talking about, he's talking about the idea of the temple. And we can see this in John chapter 2. This is where Jesus goes into the temple, and they're selling stuff at high prices and taking up the whole area where the Gentiles can come and worship, and Jesus cleanses the temple. And he says, stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. He's not talking about heaven. He, he's talking about the temple. And then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. But the Jewish leaders demanded uh, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. 
And at times, Jesus did give miraculous signs to prove who he was, but he wasn't going to do it here. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. What? They exclaimed. It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days. But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. And so we see that in Jewish thinking, my father's house is the temple. But Jesus, as he brings in the new covenant, begins to change the idea of what the temple is. He says, it's my body. It moved from a physical building to now the temple is the body of Jesus. Now, we know, if you know your scriptures, that the body of Christ is the church. Uh, and so we actually become the temple. And this is the idea here, that the church is the temple of God. And, and all throughout the scriptures, we see this, like in 1 Corinthians 3, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God, which we are the body of Christ? Or 1 Corinthians 6, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? And so we become the temple. The temple was where you went to meet with God. That was the Father's house. But now the church is the temple. And we are our Father's house. Us together. This, this is our Father's house. Uh, if you need more proof that this is talking about now, it says, in, uh, in my Father's house, it has many rooms. And that room, room, sometimes translated dwelling places or mansions, is only used in the New Testament twice. And actually, both times are in John 14. And if we look at the, uh, at the uh, other place where it's found in John 14, it says this. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home. Same word as rooms. In my Father's house has many rooms, but Jesus says, we will come to them and make our home with them. This is not us going up to heaven. This is God coming down to us. Because we are the temple. We are the temple of God. We are where God dwells within his church. He dwells in us individually. He dwells in us corporately. We become the temple. And so this is not, uh, in this world you're going to have trouble. Don't be troubled. Trust in God because one day you're going to heaven. Now, I should bring us comfort. Heaven should because we realize that this life is just a speck in the gazillion million mile line of life. But he's talking about now. You don't need to be troubled because the reality is God has come down to us and he makes his home in our life because we now are the temple. And there is room in this temple for each of us. As 1 Peter chapter 2 says, you are living stones. Or we could say that you're a room that God, uh, that God is building. Uh, you are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. In other words, each of us make up like a brick. Or each of us make up a room in God's temple. And the point is that God is not far away. I mean, just think about how vast God is who created this universe he was immensely powerful and immensely loving. He's just not out there somewhere. He's actually in us, the temple. He has come down to us, and he dwells within our, our lives. And this is like the story of Luke. It talks about that God is actually coming down to us, the story of the prodigal son. When, when God the Father, in a picture of God the Father, he runs out to meet the prodigal. This is what Jesus is saying. God is going to come down to us. So when Jesus says, I'm going away, he is going to the Father, 
and through his work, is allowing the Father and the Holy Spirit and Jesus' presence actually to move, move into our lives. And this is the reality we live in. God is with us. God is in us. We actually are the temple of God. Notice in John 17 how close this relationship is with God in our lives. I pray that they will, be, they will all be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me. Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me. Now notice that. God, the same glory God gave to Jesus, God gave to us. Now that's, that's a crazy thought, but why did he do that? I have given them the glory you gave me. The reason is so that they may be one as we are one. Unity. Like unity in the Christian church has got to be held way higher than it currently is because it's supposed to be a sign, again, that Jesus came. But then he says this. That's a whole other story there. I and them and you are in me. Just as the Father is in Jesus, uh, Jesus is in us. Do you see that? Uh, I and them and you are in me. Just as Jesus is in the Father, we are actually in Jesus. I mean, just think about how close the Father and Jesus are. I mean, we're talking about the Trinity, an unexplainable three and an unexplainable one. It's such an intimate relationship. Through the work of Christ, our relationship in terms of us being the temple and God living us is so close, it's like we actually get to participate, if you will, in the Trinity. I in them, and you are in me. See, God's not far away. The power of God is not out there somewhere. The power of God lives in his church the very temple of God. Or I could, uh, we can look at John 14. And maybe we'll just read the last line here for the sake of time. Again, Jesus says, I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. So just as Jesus is in the Father, we are in Jesus. And because we're connected to Jesus, we're connected to the Father. There is this incredible, close relationship we have with God because God dwells in us. Again, the whole concept of the temple was you went to the temple to meet with God. And now, we are the temple. We can meet with God wherever we are. Now, I can tell you, there's an added dimension of God's presence when we gather together, all together as his people. But I tell you, even when you leave from this place and you go hiking or walking or you're sitting there with your spouse or watching TV or at work, you still are the temple of God and, and God still dwells with you. You can have a conversation with God in your car. You can experience God's presence as you're just sitting outside in your yard or as, as you're working throughout the day. It's not like i got to go to church to find the presence of God. Again, there is an added dimension when we gather together. But God is with us wherever we go. And we can even push this further. Colossians 3, it says that Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. And so we can picture, I'm going to use this chair here to picture this a little bit. So we got Father. You know, the Bible talks about the throne room. Uh, but it says that Jesus sits at, at, the, at the right hand of the Father. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. Now we know that the Bible says that the Father is spirit. The Father isn't like a physical being walking around. He is spirit. And the idea of the right hand, it just means a position of power and authority. Uh, but the Bible does use the imagery of a throne. And so we're going to use that here. Uh, but Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Uh, on his throne over this universe. But then check out Ephesians 2. Again, the idea of we as the temple, the presence of God dwells in his church. 
It says, He raised us up with Christ and gave us a seat with Him in the heavens. So Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and where are we? We're, we're here as well. Now you're going to say, and I say, well, man, I do not deserve this one bit. There's no way I deserve this. Not one bit. But this is the grace of God. This is the, the new covenant. I mean, check out what Romans 5 says. We have been made right in God's sight by faith. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith. Notice it doesn't say because I'm so wonderful and amazing and got all things together. Because of our faith. Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. This place, because I am in Jesus and that Jesus is in the Father, is a place of undeserved privilege. And it says that we have peace with God. When we're sitting on this throne, the Father looks at us with peace in his eyes. There's no, I'm going to get you back because you've been such a horrible person this week. No, because we are in Jesus who is at the right hand of the Father. I mean, we have peace with God. I mean, we don't need to be afraid of sitting here. The Bible says, perfect love casts out all fear. And this is perfect love right here. The Father in the Son is perfect love. I mean, this is the place that we are seated because this is the temple, the new temple. Not, this is not just me, but this is all of us. That God dwells within us because we are in Jesus and Jesus is in the Father. And, and we're sitting with him at, at, at the right hand of God. And Jesus invites us into this rest. You notice that it says that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. Do you know being when you're seated, it's, it's quite a position of rest. That's why some of you fall asleep sometimes during my sermon, right? <laughs> you're just resting, right? <laughs> you're in a position of rest. And this is what Jesus is inviting you into. You know that Jesus and the Father are calling out to you right now saying, just come and rest in my presence. Rest in my power. Because this is perfect power and perfect love right here. There's no better place to be. And he invites us in. Matthew 11. And you can see the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit saying this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. This is where we find rest. There's no anxiety when you're in this place, when you realize this and you're taking thoughts captive and making this a reality. There is no troubleness because you realize that you're with perfect love and perfect power. I think when we get anxious, that's when we kind of figure, we get up and we're like, Father, do you see what's going on in my life? This is crazy. This is something coming down. My, my financial world, this relationship thing is falling apart. That person's really mad at me. I am so anxious. I'm just freaking out. And, and you know, I can just see them just saying, hey, Jesse, just come sit down. Come sit down. You got to get this picture in your head. Uh, this got to shape your thoughts. You are the temple of God, and you can't get away from the temple of God. I mean, in, in the Psalms, it says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, uh, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. I mean, this, this is like a movable throne room chair because wherever you go, it just, it just comes along with you. 
because you can't escape the presence of God. And so you might as well, wherever you are, just, just sit down and relax a little bit in life. And enjoy a relationship with the Father and, and Jesus. And, 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 and next week we get into the idea that not only that, but we got the Holy Spirit. And we know where the Holy Spirit lives. He lives right inside of us, right? I mean, any thought that you have in your life that doesn't line up with this, you got to take that thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. I mean, Satan is always wanting you to get... You to believe, I'm not taking the Holy Spirit away, I'm just putting it in there. Uh, uh, always wanted to get you to believe the lie that, that you, you can't approach the throne room of God because you've been a naughty boy this week. But the Bible says we can boldly come to the throne room of grace. And again, it's not because I'm so good and I have it all together. I've done such an awesome job this week. I've been like super Christian. It's because of Jesus. This is undeserved privilege that we come to this place. And again, he's inviting you today into this place. Would you come and rest with me? Yes. Would you trust me? Would you just lay down your anxiety and believe that I am able, to believe that I am strong, to believe that I am with you, to believe that I will never leave you nor forsake you, that you can't get away from the very presence of God, that God knows what you're going through. He knows what's coming down the pipe, and he's right there with you. Amen. But it takes us actually sitting down and listening, yes. sitting down and receiving. Because even though this is a reality, sometimes, again, we can figure we can get up and freak out and, and God's saying, hey, come sit, sit down. We're like, no, no, this is too big. This is too crazy. I can't sit down. Don't you see what's going on? And, and he's just saying, just come. Just come. Just come sit down. Come sit down and trust me. Because everything in our life flows out of a relationship with God. Everything flows out of a relationship with God. The moment we get up is the moment we get in trouble. The moment we get up, the moment things we start freaking out. And trust me, I'm good at this because I do it all the time as well. Uh, but just, he's just calling us back, calling us back into the presence, the presence of God. And so I don't know how uh, you want to catch this image in your mind. But anything that doesn't capture this, it needs to be, needs to be thrown out. Uh, and, and, and again, I, I teach here that it's always good to use your imagination when we connect with God. Now we can use our imagination for evil, we can use our imagination for horrible things, but the imagination is a gift from God that really helps us uh, make the difference between what we see and what is real. It makes the difference between what we see and what is real because the reality is, what I see right now, there's a bunch of awesome folks and some talking head up here. That's what I kind of see. But the reality is, God is here. The reality is we are his temple. The reality is all of us are sitting in the Father's presence, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. This is the reality. But I don't see that with my physical eyes, but I can imagine that. I can picture that. I mean, again, often in worship, would I close my eyes a lot because I use my imagination to picture Jesus here. Because I don't see him with my eyes, but he's here. The reality is he is here. So I use my imagination to picture that. Your imagination can bridge what you see with your physical eyes and what is real. And it is helpful. And maybe you just want to even ask the Father. Father, would you, would you give me a scene that reminds me of intimacy in this, this place that I am in Jesus. And Jesus is in the Father. And this place of, of just being at the right hand, your right hand. And is there an image? Maybe just ask God. Maybe you want to close your eyes. 
Father, is there an image you want to give us that can help me hold on to this reality? A reality that we participate in the very unity of the Trinity. A picture of the reality of us being the temple. A picture of reality that we are at the right hand of Jesus and Jesus is the right hand of the Father. Father, we thank you for the peace that we are just experiencing in this place. Thank you that anxiety is going. As you sit in that place, maybe you just want to picture in front of you all those things that you're worried about. Whether it's a relational or health issue or a financial issue, just picture you sitting there with Jesus and the Father and, and there's all that, that trouble out there. Maybe you just want to look at, fa at the Father who is perfect power, perfect love, whom you are at perfect peace with. And just, just ask the Father, Father, what do you think of all that stuff out there? What do you want me to do with all that stuff? How do you want me to respond to all that anxiety? As you're in that place in the presence of God, just allow these scriptures to wash over you. You may just want to keep your eyes closed. First Peter 5, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Isaiah 41, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Psalm 118. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. Joshua 1.9. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Hebrews 13. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? 1 John 4. There is no fear in love. A perfect love casts out all fear. Romans 8. Nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life. Neither angels nor demons. Neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. In John 14, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. And then back to John 14, 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. So, Father, I just pray you would seal this place in our minds. That whenever we begin to feel troubled or anxious, we can just go back. Back to the truth, back to the way, the life that you are. God, I pray any thought that the enemy tries to plant in our head, any thought that we ourselves try to think that's not in line with this place of being seated at the right hand of your son, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, I pray that thought would not have power over us. 
So God, we receive your peace. We receive your rest. We receive your goodness. In Jesus' name.